You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of the podcast. Thank you again so much for hanging out with me week after week. It's seriously, it's literally the reason I get to do this. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate you. I want to get into this episode with Jordan, but before I do, I can't really let it go by without acknowledging what we all probably are very aware of at this point is that Taylor Hawkins, the drummer of the Foo Fighters, unfortunately passed away over the weekend. And of course, we had not discussed it on this episode or recording because it had not happened yet. But it's a it's a sad thing. He was an inspiration to millions and millions of people. I am sitting here literally looking at a Taylor Hawkins snare out here in the shred shed right now. And uh, yeah, so me and my friends are big fans and he inspired a lot of uh, a lot of people so my condolences to his friends and his family and of course the rest of the Foo Fighters it's a, it's a sad deal it's really really sad but um I'm sure you had heard all about it and I don't want to bring it down too much but I didn't feel like I could let this go without acknowledging that and trying to throw a little bit of love their way because it's a really a a terrible tragedy. So, yeah, that's a bummer way to start a podcast, but I, uh, yeah, had to get it out there. So, the podcast itself is very fun. Fortunately, it, it, we don't have to bring it down all the time. Jordan and I had an excellent conversation, and I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. So, let's get right into it with Jordan Withers from Poison Noises. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Jordan Withers from Poison Noises. What's going on, dude? Hey, man. I'm uh, I'm very, very excited to be here. I, uh, I definitely wanted to say this, too, before we jump too far into it. I don't think you understand how instrumental you are to my podcast listening <laughs> because oh. <laughs> I really I hadn't I hadn't bitten into that one until very recently actually. Um I usually let stuff, you know, let stuff play while I'm building and between mm-hmm. this and Chasing Tone, you have pretty much single-handedly actually gotten me into podcast listening. So it's oh, very wow. very cool it's kind of come full <laughs> circle on me on this one. So I'm very very excited about it. Dude, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for checking out all the shows cuz Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I really enjoy doing them, and the only reason I get to keep doing them is because people listen to them. So, totally, thanks dude. to you no, and no, it's, whoever's it's, hearing it's, this right now. It, it's great. It's great. Uh, you know, especially while building pedals all day. You know what I mean? I know. I know the joke at the beginning of the show is that it's about guitar stuff sometimes. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? But like, even when even when it's not, it's good. Uh, it's good content to have going on while uh, <laughs> while my brain is working over here. So I definitely appreciate it. Awesome. Well, that's that's super cool. Uh, I wanted to get you on specifically because you know. Poison Noises is a relatively new brand. I'm not sure how long you've been around. We started but- in in tech. <laughs> the farthest back, we say January of 2020 is actually okay. technically when it started. But that's just like, that's like literally, and this is like so strange to say now with like, you know, how how great this these past couple of years have been for us. That's actually technically the first day that I ever built a pedal. That's not even technically the inception of the company. The company technically didn't really start until June of 2020 is when it actually okay. started. Wow. Yeah. So what I, where I was going with that is like you, you guys really hit it and hit it hard. And I like to see, you know, I, Sometimes things go viral and they just kind of, you know, they blow up for seemingly no reason other than it becomes the hip thing for sure. the moment. But I can tell by, you know, the effort that you've put in that that's not exactly the case. It's more just like, hey, we're making really cool stuff, which is the baseline. You have to do that, right? But Absolutely. you're also putting in a lot of effort in building the brand and getting it to a point where people are you know genuinely caring about it and it probably seems to some people that's a little bit of an overnight thing but uh it certainly isn't as I'll, I, I I'll, I'll be honest with you we're, we're surprised at how much of an overnight thing it feels like to us personally because um, mm-hmm. it did happen pretty quick but not you know not without uh, a lot of effort on on both me and uh, and Connor the other half of the company's part um yeah. but yeah it was it was pretty 
it was pretty intense how quickly it kicked off. Um, you know, we had originally we had originally started doing it uh, just, you know, as as kind of like COVID kicked in, right? You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. kind of like, you, mean, you see so many pedal companies now that started just because of that, which is awesome. Um, you know, there's even a few like local to us, like only a couple hours away. Like I know uh, it's Summer School Electronics, um, you know, they're right over in Syracuse. You know what I mean? They started right around the same time as us. Um, I know you had the guy from from Wonder Effects. I think that's how you say it, Wonder mm-hmm. Effects. It's I know yep. it's spelled like o- Onator or something like that. I know he started <laughs> like right around the same time as us also, which is super cool. Um, you know, what it was for us really is, and it's funny because the first thing we ever built was um, was a fuzz, which is normally, you know, when you talk to people who started a pedal company nine times out of ten, that's what they're going to tell you they started with. Um, ours actually started not even as like a pedal. I... Uh, I had, my my roommate uh, back when he when we, he lived here when we uh, when we first started the company um, was also a musician and we uh, we both worked at Guitar Center together at that point and I was like you know we were having a conversation about this one fuzz he was really interested in and I like you know he was just going on and on and on about it and then at one point I was just like I don't think you understand how simple these circuits really are now like at that point in my life you know I had gone to audio school. Um, had a pretty base level of of audio electronics and how they worked and stuff. And I was like, like, I really like you, I know you're like so excited about this and that's like really cool, but I promise you, like, it's not, you know, it's not as complex as you think it is. Like we could break this down and we could figure this out. Mm-hmm. And it's so silly to think about it now, but that first circuit was seven components. Um, right. And... And I literally built it to like prove a point, you know, what I mean? like it was almost like a spite <laughs> build, you know what I mean? Like it's like <laughs> such a silly thing to think about now. Um, but, you know, I put that together and it didn't have an enclosure. I remember, I remember exactly where I was. I, I came home. Um, I think my, my girlfriend had like picked me up from, from the store. Cause I was the, I was the store manager at guitar center at that point. And she brought me home and we're sitting there and there's a package on the door and I open it up and it's like literally like the seven components that I ordered from China for like less than a dollar, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like that I'm so excited about it's like the cheapest package I've ever had that much excitement about. And, uh, and I threw it together in like 15 minutes and then like, I'm like, I got to plug this in, see if it works, you know? And then I like look around and I remember that my amp is currently at the store because one of my amps is at the store because it's being repaired. And I don't mm-hmm. have a guitar amp in my home at that point. Oh, no. So I'm like, what do I do? You know, like, how, so I, you know, I've been gone from the store for about 35, you know, 45 minutes at this point. And I run back and everyone's like, what are you doing back here? Is everything okay? And I have like this pile of like components, like not even like on a board, literally just soldered together point to point in my hand, like this horrible rat's nest look of looking <laughs> thing of electronics. And I bring it in, I, I plug it in next to the tech bench. And of course, all my employees are standing around me and we do it and it fires right up. And it's like the nastiest sounding fuzz we've ever heard. And everyone's kind of looking at me like, what are we going to do with this? And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't really think, you know, anything beyond this point. <laughs> like this is, right. this is success <laughs> to me. This is what I, this was best case scenario that it just worked, you know? And um, we ended up making it really small, like the size of a quarter, <laughs> like really, really small. Mm-hmm. And we put it underneath the pit guard of my Strat and we put it on like a push-pull yeah. pot. And then mm-hmm. I had like this onboard fuzz thing that was like, just like, it was like this really cool, like sleeper thing that we had that we just like would bring to the store and mess around with. And then I was like, maybe I could market this. Maybe I could sell it. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking to, to Connor, who at that point was a store manager at a different guitar center. Um, he actually used to run the one that I, that I was the store manager of before me, he was my boss. And then he left and then I took over the store. Um, mm-hmm. So at this point we were both store managers and I'm like telling him about this. And we realized that, you know, as, as things kind of progressed and, and, you know, the state of the world kind of changed by like March, uh, we knew that we weren't going to be able to convince people to give us their guitars to install a circuit and then hand it back to them just because of the contact and everything like that. So you know, the idea of it kind of being an onboard circuit kind of fizzled away. And then we're like, I guess we just got it. We have to put it in an enclosure. Like it has to be inside of a pedal. Like that, this is it. It is now a pedal. It, this original idea we had was really cool, but it's not really marketable right now. Um, then, you know, a couple months went by and I built like, you know, a boost and a treble booster and a bass booster. And like, you know, our friends and, you know, some of our customers too are like, are, are buying them from us at that point. And, Connor finally, like, like, has really talking to me about it. He's like, what is this really, like, costing you uh, to put these things together right now? I'm like, dude, you know, components, if you can get a hold of them, are really cheap. You know what I mean? Like, really for, like, the the baseline stuff, like, you know, at that point, you know, it's gone up a little bit since then, funny enough, but our supplier for resistors, our res- resistor costs a penny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, for and, and some other components, fractions of that. Um, and he was just like, 
Are you telling me that like, you know, this is how much it costs for us to do this? And like, we're making handmade quality effects and we can sell them like for the price of a boss pedal. I'm like, yeah, dude, like it's, it's, it's possible. Definitely. And he's like, okay, here's my stimulus check. You know what I mean? And like, you know, I had mine at the time also. That's essentially what the business investment was at that time, you know? So that's okay. going to give you an idea of when that happened. Um, and then, you know, we were so excited about it at the time and it was really just like all we could think about. Um, and then we got the call in May, uh, the end of May, that Guitar Center, you know, wanted to bring us back. You know, we were all furloughed. Um, we had just been at home, like putting pedals together and, and you know, just trying to keep busy. Um, and then we got the call to come back and I went there for about a week and, uh, people seemed like they were different and <laughs> they were like treating people <laughs> differently. We had people like banging on the doors and, you know, asking why they couldn't be lit in and not wearing masks and stuff. And I was just like, you know, I, you know, this, this isn't, you know, this isn't worth slinging guitars over right now. You know what I mean? Like this just, this doesn't feel like the safe place to be. I was doing something, you know. That, that I really loved doing and was much safer. And I literally like called my boss and I was just like, Hey, uh, I'm not, I can't, I can't come back. I can't keep doing this. I got, I got to go do something else. And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah, I'm just, I don't, this isn't for me. And then he was like, okay. And like, that was it. And I remember I said to my girlfriend, like right beforehand, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm giving up something I've worked at for about six years to do something that seems, you know, monumentally more exciting, but you know, this is kind of all or nothing. This is like succeed or don't eat. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, you got to do well or we can't pay the rent. And she was working at like Starbucks at the time, but she was like, go for it. She's like, absolutely do it. No question. Um, and like, that was, you know, super instrumental into, into me doing it, but also, you know, Connor's backing who was, you know, my boss beforehand and everything also having a lot of faith in it. Um, and pretty much everyone we talked to loved the idea. So that was around like the beginning of June. And that's what I technically consider the inception of Poison Noises and when it actually started and everything. That's when I consider, that's when I was like, all right, I really like uh, to be able to keep buying guitars and big stupid TVs and stuff like that. And if I can't make this work, I can't do that anymore. You know, then there's also like, you know, <laughs> things like food and rent and bills and things also to keep in mind. But, you know, but that was that was just kind of it. And that was the motivation for it. And I did have a lot of really cool support at the time. But yeah, that's that's when I consider we say we say January, but it's really June in my mind is when it actually started when you really went for it. So but taking some steps like way back before then, like what made you start picking up the guitar in the first place? And, you know, that, oh, okay. there had to have so, been some right, inspirations so if there. If we're going, if we're digging that far back. Um, we're going deep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. So let's see. I started, um, it's so silly to think about it now, but like, I remember the exact moment that I wanted to start playing guitar. Uh, I was, um, I was probably about like 10, maybe 11. And it's so silly because it sounds so cliche at this point, especially having like worked at Guitar Center. But I heard Sweet Child of Mine on guitar uh -huh. like, for the first time. And that was the first time in my life that I could actually like articulate that notes were being played. Because everything at that yeah. point to me like was just like washy chords. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't really like understand what the guitar was doing, but I like heard a melody and something in my head clicked. I'm like, that guy's finger is holding down this string in this place. And that's how it makes that note. And that combination of things he's doing is making a song. Um, and the next, you know, next year or whatever, I asked for a guitar for Christmas. I had like one of those, uh, target star casters, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like they were like, mm -hmm. they were like, what were the squire packs back then? But like still weren't cool enough to like say the word even squire on them. You know right. I mean? <laughs> but it, was, it was a strat with like an action. I could have shot a, you know, like a bow and arrow, you know what I mean? It was whatever, but it was mine. I was stoked about it. Played in a couple of bands, you know, and then, you know, by the time I got to high school, we were like playing out and stuff. And then. Um, I think maybe like my junior year of high school, we were like, let's record. And I was like, okay. So we found this place that was recording another band, um, that we were friends with in high school. And we went there and I just remember being like morbidly disappointed with the quality of the recording. And like this guy had, I remember at the time too, back before I knew what anything was, this guy had like vintage preamps from like the fifties and stuff like that. And like had all this crazy, like had this really nice Soldano amp that like, I remember like I'd never heard anything like it before and like all this really great gear. And I was just so disappointed. I was like, Oh my God, we suck. You know what I mean? Like this is it. Like we, we're so bad. We can't even make this stuff sound good. And then at some point that kind of like triggered this thing in my head where I'm like, I'm going to learn how to record and I'm going to learn how to do this. So, um, I ended up getting, 
By the time I went to college, I ended up getting a grant through financial aid for the program I was in, um, which was for um, which was just a music program. It wasn't even for audio recording or anything like that. But I took that money, and you know, after I paid for like essentially the rule was like you pay for your books, and then after you do that, anything else you have left over you can use towards your program. And I was like, cool, I'm gonna get like a laptop. And, you know, of course, I got all my books secondhand, you know, what I mean, to like have as much money right. as I could at, at the other end. So um, and, you know, I got like a little portable like it was like a Zoom R16. It was like it was, it's crazy when I think about it now because it was like a bus powered eight channel eight preamp like with faders interface that cost me wow. like something like 400 bucks, like which you could I don't feel, think I could find anything like that now. You know what I mean? It's like a crazy yeah. thing to think of, you know, I mean, I'm running like all oh, this is going through like an Apollo twin right now. You know what I mean? That cost twice as much and didn't have half the capabilities in terms of audio inputs and outputs, you know, right. Um, not to mention hands on controls. And anyways, I digress. So it's like so we um, so I get all that and I start recording. I get really interested in it. And then like at some point, you know, a couple of years later down the road, I'm like 21 and I'm like. I really got to do something with music here because I feel like, you know, I'm like, I'm still recording like a song every week and that's cool. But like, I really want to dig into this. So my dad's family lived on Staten Island and I was like, if I go out there, I can go to school in Manhattan. I can, I can find something out there. I can learn, you know, I can work in cool studios. And about a year after I made that decision, um, I was in, I was going to the Institute of Audio Research, which unfortunately isn't there anymore, but it was like literally the oldest school for audio engineering in the world um, at the time. And it uh, was like right down the street from NYU. All of my teachers were like Grammy award winning engineers. And I was like, this is the coolest thing in the world. Like, and it was like, it was a one year program. And um, and they had, you know, that's where I learned about audio electronics. There was like one class that was just about like, here, build this little pocket amp or do whatever. And that was always like very interesting to me, but I didn't think that's where I like wanted my, you know, career path to go. Mm -hmm. Um, then after I graduated, I ended up, it was so cool too. Cause I, I graduated with honors from that school. And I think that kind of helped me in convincing them to let me play the, uh, the graduation ceremony. Um, which was, you know, really, really cool in New York City because our graduation ceremony was at the Apollo. So, oh, wow. So it's wow. kind of like, uh, you know, and yeah, it was, which was, I'll be honest. So like, I don't get stage fright like that. You know, I've been playing in like, you know, punk bands and pop punk bands and stuff like that, like for as long as I can remember, like, and I've always been a front man. So that's, you know, that's, I've never been afraid to like get up on a stage. I get like that, you know, that energy hype, that adrenaline, and it's exciting. It's awesome. This was a sold out, technically show at the Apollo because it was all of the people's parents. But then also you got to keep in mind that everyone in the audience is an audio engineer. Right. And, and, <laughs> and very critical of how audio sounds and how music sounds. And I didn't realize this until like maybe 10, I, I, 10 minutes before, like I'm about to go on and play in front of everyone. It was like one song. I played this, this girl sang and I played guitar and sang backups. And, um, her name was Reed. She had an incredible voice at the time. And, um, we, so it, like, it's so silly to think about too. Cause I was just like, Oh cool. I'm playing the Apollo. Like, that's awesome. Like that's, that's such a cool thing to be able to say, you know, I was 22 then or something. And then they told me like how it was going to go. So they had this award-winning acapella group go on right before us, which is already Whoa. like, you know, so now okay. I'm just going to be judged on my singing no matter what, you know? Right. And this is like the craziest thing now when I think about it too, cause this would just be terrifying for anyone, but my guitar is backstage. I'm in the crowd like, I'm sitting where, like, all the students and stuff are sitting, you know, cap and gown and everything. And they don't introduce us. They told me, when this band stops, you just walk up there and start playing. So, uh, so what? I, right, which is, like, the craziest <laughs> thing to think about. You know I mean? Like, if you, because, like, all right, so, like, here, here's the perspective, right? The Apollo is packed. Everyone here is a music critic of some sort. And I'm expected to stand up out of a crowd in dead silence and walk up the stairs onto the stage, go no. behind the stage, <laughs> grab a guitar in dead silence, then walk onto the stage and just start playing without anyone introducing us. Like that'd be terrifying for like, you know, like Roger Waters, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like terrifying for like people who are monumentously, you know, talented and, and famous and whatever. So why did they do that? Why did they not? It was just somebody. I'll be honest. I think it was just rushed. I think they were just like, cause here's the other weird part about it. It was, a super popular audio school in Manhattan. Like I said, it was the oldest one in the world. But at that time, this was 2015. Uh, mm -hmm. I think I was one of three people in the school at that time who played guitar. 
like everyone else was there for like, you know, like hip hop and EDM stuff. And cause that's like what was big in the city at that time, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think they were like, oh my God, we have someone here who wants to play guitar, the Apollo. Like, yeah, let's make this happen as soon as we can. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think they were like excited wow. about it. So anyway, so, you know, and like I said, I don't get those jitters, but I had them for the first time ever and it was horrible. And I walk behind there and I put my guitar on and the guy who hands it to me goes, are you okay? Which, by the way, is the worst thing to say to anybody ever <laughs> if, if they look like they're having a panic attack. And I'm just like, I got this. And I literally walked on uh, out from backstage with like my fist in the air and the place just like blew up in applause. And I'm like, okay, that's it. That's all I needed. And like, here we mm-hmm. go. And then we killed it. And it was awesome. You know, we played our one song and then we walked off again with no one saying anything, which brought the jitters back a little bit back. And then like all my friends like looked at me like with wide eyes when I came back and sat next to them. They're like, I don't know how you did that without just like crying. And then like a couple of teachers who like were on the stage at that same time, like talked to me later and they look, looked at me and they were like, you were literally shaking as you sat down. Like we could see you shaking. I'm like, that's so mm-hmm. crazy. So anyway, so that's my weird story about the Apollo. <laughs> that's so crazy. I'm just like picturing, uh, you know, <laughs> the whole time you're talking about that, I, like I just see you like go backstage and like turn into Eminem and mom spaghetti. <laughs> right. The whole mo- like the whole thing, like just like <sighs> like yeah. I can't imagine. I don't think I could do it. No, honestly. dude, it was it was it was tough. I'm really glad I did it because it's still the coolest venue I've probably ever played at. And truth be told, I haven't played a lot of gigs since then because I've been so focused on what happened after, uh, which was working in some really cool studios in New York City. So, um, you know, I was interning at Eastside Sound um, on the Lower East Side for a while, which is really cool. There's a lot of like really neat jazz cats there. They had like um, they had an, uh, what was it, a 91 Harrison console that was the first ever console that had automation, like literally the really? first really. And it, like, ran on, like, old Mac 2s. I just remember, like, taking them apart and, like, rebuilding them, like, with the the, the owner of the place, Lou Holtzman. And it was just, like, such, like, a wild experience. And, like, none of my other friends, my other friends were, like, interning at studios that were, like, running in the box stuff. And I was like, yeah, dude, I had to, like, pull apart this computer for the automation and the Harrison. Then we had to dump one of the buckets out and replace it with another one from the other Harrison console he has downstairs. And they were just like, what are you talking about? You know? That's so, wild. Yeah, so, so I left there. Um because I started working at the magic shop, which was Sonic Youth did dirty there. So that was really all I cared about. You know, what I mean, that okay. was like that was like the big thing for me. They also I mean, huge records were done there. I know uh, Coldplay did like Viva La Vida. Um, and I had gotten the, the the gig, the intern gig originally from one of my advisors. And he was like, what did he say? He was like. He's like, what kind of music are you into? And at that time, I was like infatuated with Dave Grohl. I mean, I still am infatuated with Dave Grohl, but it's like, you know, at right. that time, it was like, that was, he was like, you know, no pun intended. He was like my hero at the time, you know? And he, I guess he had literally just recorded that episode of that HBO spe- special, uh, Sonic oh. Highways. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's that studio. There? It's the last okay. episode of that is, is the studio I used to work in. And, um, and he had just recorded it. And I just remember, but I didn't know that at the time because I he's like, he's like, I'm gonna give the studio your info. They're gonna call you for a job. I was like, cool. And then like two weeks went by and I didn't get a call. And I was working at Guitar Center Brooklyn at the time. I was the door guy back then. And uh, and I was just waiting for the call. I got the call while I was at the door and I answered it, which I was not supposed to do, but I knew who it was, and I answered it. And they were like, Yeah, dude, we're like so interested, like in having you over here, like graduated, you know, with honors, and and you know, you seem like you know your stuff and you're into this music. Like, we'd love to have you over here. I'm like, dude, thank God. Like, I was so worried that, you know, that you guys weren't interested. And he goes, Oh no, dude, don't sweat it. We've just been filming with Dave Grohl for the past two weeks. And I was like, Oh my God. It maybe if I had like applied like a week earlier i could have been there for it you know what right I mean? like that was right. my thought in my head at that time but um you know and we there were so many cool people while i was there you know what i mean like I got, I got you know from intern to assisting on projects and stuff you know what i mean like um you know they had they also they here's another cool i mean for this is just for nerd gear stuff but they had there's this one neve console i can't i can't believe i can't remember the name but i hate that i'm blanking on it right now but there were only four of them made in the world and two of them were merged together into one console by Rupert Neve himself. And that's wow. the one that's in the magic shop. <laughs> and wow. so that was like literally like this wraparound console. It was insane at the time, you know, and that place just was just sounded amazing. Also had crazy collection of mics and, you know, records on the wall and stuff. And, 
Um, that was uh, Steve Rosenthal was the owner of that place. And it turned out his wife was like from my hometown also or something like that, which was like super weird. So kind of connected with him on that. But anyways, um, you know, I mean, there, you know, in my first week there, I think Jennifer Hudson walked in. You know what I mean? I think like, uh, you know, I, I know Cindy Lauper did some stuff there at that time. There was there was so many artists, you know what I mean? Blondie, we did stuff with Blondie. I remember that was really cool. Um, and then one day I saw it on like Facebook or something. It was like the, uh, it said the legendary magic shop is closing and no one had told me yet. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I went and talked to Kabir who was like the, the head engineer at the time. He's like, don't read too much into it. It's not a big deal. And then like literally like two weeks later, he's like, yeah, it's closing. I was like, oh my God. So then I started hitting up all these other studios that I had done work at before and they were all closing. And I was like, what is going on? And what it ended up being is just the rent got like it's too high insane yeah. in New York City and everything closed mm-hmm. and this is like the other like I don't know how much of the story is like supposed to be public but I'll spill the beans at this point Dave Grohl like literally like signed like a check for like a number with a lot of zeros at the end of it to try and buy the magic shop and uh and keep it open because he loved the studio so much and we like brought it up to like the the owner of the place and like you know, offered it, you know, told him that Dave was interested in buying it. And he was just like, if I turn this into a condo, I'll make that money back in like five years. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. like an apartment complex or whatever, you know? Right. And that was it. I think they reopened in like Brooklyn or something, but it's not, I think it's like a restoration studio. Cause that was, they did like all of like Woody Guthrie's like wire restorations and stuff there. So I think that's what they do now. Um, but that was pretty much where I was like, I'm going to move back to upstate New York and I'm going to go and record music there because it's cheaper to live there. Um, studio, everything's closing here. The rent's too high. You know, I also was commuting from Staten Island. Um, and right. there was a point where I was going to school in Manhattan and working at Guitar Center Brooklyn. And I had, uh, I was working at a rehearsal space by like, you know, Penn Station. And I was also, you know, at a million other places. And I had 36 hours of commute a week. And I was like, that's another job. Like that's, that's instead of that's money, like me sitting around doing nothing, that's money I could be making. So, yeah. So totally. I came back to, uh, uh, Schenectady. That's, that's where like Poison Noises is technically based out of and everything right now. And I worked, I got a job at the Albany Guitar Center and, uh, worked my way up there. Um, and then eventually when, you know, Connor came over from Connecticut, uh, I don't know what year that would have been. I was only there for like two or three years at that point. And, and we just like hit it off like immediately. He came over. I was still like a warehouse guy there, but like for whatever reason, he says this too. So, and I don't ever let him down, but apparently like he like met me and I was like the first person. He's like, I'm going to be friends with this guy. Like that was like the first <laughs> thing like he said to himself, like, you know, he like knew it like right when, uh, when he came down and we like, you know, and then eventually, you know, I became the warehouse manager and then I became, you know, the sales manager, which essentially is, is, you know, would have been Connor's right hand man at that time. And we got the company. Our store, the Albany store, was, like, just known of like as, like, you know, the, the, the bottom of the barrel doesn't really perform well. Always a problem store, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and we got it up to number two in the chain. And I know we never got it up to number one because it killed us that we never got it to number one. But the two of us together <laughs> did that. So we already felt like we had, like, a good business mindset for that already. And um, and then Connor moved on to another store back home in Connecticut, and I took over that store, and then that brings us to the inception of Poison Noises. So right, that, I I really relate to that that moment though, where you're like, where he's like, I'm gonna be friends with this guy because, <laughs> like, I remember the, you know, I uh, I've talked about this a lot, but Scott from Stringjoy came on, uh, I think episode twenty of the podcast, so it was really really early, and. As soon as we got done, we, you know, hung up the call or stopped recording and then just kept talking. Sure. And I was like, oh, we're on the we're on the same wavelength. Right. Here. Yeah. Like, yeah. You and, know? Those, it's, and those are the people you should get in business with. I mean, clearly you did. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, you know, that, right. that, that does that like that is that is that that kind of chemistry. It's like such like a silly word to like use in that kind of sense. But it really is like that is that's like when you should know that, like, hey, me and this person. We can figure some stuff out together. <laughs> you know that's I mean? that's the thing, and it doesn't happen very often. And it's and it's not something that I think. I think you can you can search for it kind of, but I think I think it's not something you can force. It just has to it just has to happen. Yeah, you know, totally. You just have to. You almost 
you increase your chances by increasing the volume of people you meet, which is why this yeah, podcasting thing is great. Yeah, but that's not my MO either, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> like, I got, yeah. I, got, I got into the pedal game so I could hermit myself here in this apartment and, you know, and make the contacts <laughs> I want to make, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I'm, I'm a little bit of the opposite. Like, I love meeting new people. So, like, that's one of my favorite parts about doing the show is getting to talk to people who do cool things and are doing interesting things. You've done some cool and interesting things that I wasn't even aware of. So that's, <laughs> Thanks, man. No, I appreciate it. I'm, no, I'm, you're, you're right. You're right. There is there is something to be said about it. It's just, you know, it's about finding the right people. Because, you know, like as, you know, I mean, you're a musician also. I'm sure that pretty much anyone that plays music, you could probably talk to them for hours. You know what I mean? Like just about anyone, you'd find something that they want to talk about, you know? Um, and then like after a while, I realized that was all I was talking about. And like, right. I had no problem with that, <laughs> you know, but then I meet someone who's like, doesn't, you know, doesn't know anything about music. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, wow, I'm very uninteresting. You know, <laughs> like they really just don't <laughs> care about what I have to say whatsoever. And, uh, but no, there's, there's, I mean, you know, that was one of the cool things about working at a music store for as long as I did is literally everyone in there wants to talk about music, you know? Mm-hmm. And then one thing I will say that I discovered about, um, you know, getting into pedals and stuff is the pedal community specifically is a very friendly and like widely accepting group of people. Um, and I didn't realize that for a while um, until, because I was always, you know, I'm so used to like the, you know, comments on like the gear page and stuff like that, where, you know, you mention anything and people are attacking you for saying, you know, what tuner you use or something. But it's like, you know, the pedal community, especially like the DIY community, they just want to share everything with each other. You know what I mean? Like they really like, they'll straight up just be like, hey, I figured this out. And then they tell everyone about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I remember like I had this kind of, this weird moment where I was like, there's no reason I can't just like reach out to like famous pedal manufacturers and like ask them questions. You know what I mean? Like I remember mm-hmm. uh, at one point I was asking like I called I called um, uh, or I emailed Brady from uh, from Old Blood and I was just like, can you just like I know you guys have tap tempo on this, you know, on this one pedal that uses the same chip that I use. Can you tell me how you did that? And he's just like, yeah. This is the this is the relay we use for it, you know. He's like he's like this is mm-hmm. this is the 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 chip we use for it to be able to actually program. I was like, no way! Like this guy just like told me like you know his secret sauce, but no, they just like they let you they let you know. I mean, honestly, too, dude. Like um like like uh Brian Wampler. So many times he's been like commenting on stuff I post and DIY stuff, and I'm like, that's cool, you know. And I remember like mm-hmm. I posted something we were in like Music Inc. magazine, and he was like, dude, I just opened my you know my issue of it and saw you guys are in there. Like congratulations! And I remember like telling that to Connor. I'm like. He's like, how are we even on these dudes' radar? You know what I mean? Like, how do these people, like, know who we are at all? I'm like, dude, it's like, it's not like a tight-knit community, but, like, everybody's looking at everything, no matter how small, how big. You know, everyone's everyone's communicating and talking. And you don't find that in a lot of hobbies. You know what I mean? Like, you really don't. Like, you don't find, like, that many accepting, cool, helpful people right from the get-go, you know, from, like, someone who knows nothing. Like, I, I would always be worried I'm going to, like, embarrass myself by not knowing enough, but I never felt that way with, with the DIY community for pedals, so. Yeah, it's, uh, there's, like, there's very few people in the pedal scene that I, that I actively avoid, and I'm not going to name any names. Sure, but me too. <laughs> but there's, like, less than a hand, less, less than five, you totally, know? Totally, totally. <laughs> And they're all the same people that everybody else avoids. I'm going to assume your five are very similar to my five. So, yeah, I don't even know if there is later, five. <laughs> yeah, right. To, I'm thinking to, about it too. I'm like, actually, maybe not. I can think of maybe three or four. But yeah, um, yeah. but even still, yeah. you know, those people might have been helpful in a different way. Maybe they figured something out that you know they posted somewhere or whatever. And it wasn't like intentional. You know what I mean? Or maybe they inspired something. You know, they were but, accidentally uh, nice. Yeah, right. You know, but you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's still you know, if it's if it's helpful, it's helpful. You know, that's true. So, but that's true. But no, you're but. No, no, you're right. Like there, there's definitely only a, a few of them. And, uh, you know, and, and the amp building community too, it's like, it's pretty much the same. Pretty much everyone I've talked to from there um, has been really cool. That's not something like we really ever plan on getting into. Um, it's always a question I get asked is like, when are you guys going to start making amps? I was like, amp- amplifier manufacturing is literally everything I, I don't like. Uh, about building electronics and pedals. <laughs> it's like the opposite of pedals, right? It's like they're expensive to ship. You know, that's one thing. Um, they cost a lot of money, so it's less of an impulse buy. You know, I mean, how many times have you, like, just walked into a guitar center and be like, oh, that pedal's only, like, 50 bucks or, you know, 70 bucks or whatever, and, like, you pick it up. Like, no one walks in and goes, oh, yeah, that amp's only, like, 700 bucks. I think I'll just pick that up. You know what I mean? There's a difference there. Um, mm-hmm. Pedals don't supply enough voltage to kill me. That's another big one for sure that, like, you know, I can, right. I can fumble around with them without getting worried. It was funny, too, because I had... um. 
I had some help from some other people from other guitar centers too, like my, my buddy Paul um, and and my roommate at the time, Rusky, was also working at, at Guitar Center. And I was like showing them, like putting pedals together. And you always see everyone's always like a little um, a little nervous to like be soldering stuff. They're like, is this going to electrocute me? Or I'm like, I'm like, first off, it's not plugged in. <laughs> so like you don't right. have to worry about that. It's been sitting for 20 minutes. There's nothing in those caps. And I'm like, even if there was, it's not enough to hurt you. And they like wouldn't feel. I go <laughs> a couple of times. I went to them. I go, hey, take this nine volt battery. They go, okay. I go now lick it. And they go, what? I go lick the battery. I go, that's the most it can hurt you. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that would. And they. Like, I hate that oh, okay. feeling. You know, I mean, for I sure, it's not, it's not good. You know what I mean? But it's like it's yeah. just it's and you know how fine. true that actually is. I mean, you can charge pump something harder than nine volts, but it's like you know that's it's it's just like uh, getting over that anxiety was definitely a big part of experimenting. But with amps, it's like you know you, there's stuff to think about. Like I just I just read tubed and biased my own amplifier for like the first time a few months ago and mm-hmm. it was just because like i'm like i think i can do it. it's the, amp, the one that's right behind me actually and um and I, I just remember like still being like terrified you know what i mean like looking up like a million videos but i'm like i know how this works you know and it's like a pretty modern amp too so it's not something that's you know that, that it should be built well enough for me not to have to worry too much about it but even still like it's it's a different thing you know what i mean and pedals pedals feel safe and fun and you know everything about it is a good experience <laughs> for me and amps not so much but people are still always asking us about it yeah i mean and plus you know what's going on with tubes right now i know a lot of people are trying to figure out sounds like i i'm getting some rumblings from my various amp building friends that like, uh, we're getting it figured out. Sure. Like, it's not quite there. They definitely caused a panic situation where maybe it wasn't fully warranted. I don't know yet. I'm supposed to talk to uh, Charles from Silktone about it. Oh, cool. On the podcast. Uh, he's like, I found some, he's like, I found some things. He's like, I think people should probably know about so that we can settle everybody down. So. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's funny too, cause obviously tubes aren't uh, that important to us in terms of building the pedals, but obviously, you know, the amps we use to build the pedals, like I said, that one that's sitting behind me has been like the platform in which I've built pretty much everything we've ever made for Poison Noises. What is that? Uh, it's a hot rod to build. It's a 410. And there you go. Four, and, and 410s, I'll tell you right now, that is the guitar sound for me. I don't think I'll ever... I, I also have an AC30 um, that I use like crazy in the studio. Um, if I'm looking for clarity for like a nice clear pedal platform to build something off of, the Deville definitely takes the cake there. If I'm trying to for like sure. really push an amp and get the good pedal saturation sound out of it, it's the AC30 all day. All of our demos are done with an AC30. All of the building is done with the Deville, you know. And we have other amps too, you know what I mean. But those are just the two that kind of work for us on just about everything. So mm-hmm. um, I'm a big fan of that amp over there. I actually. It's funny, too, because I bought I just said this whole thing about how nobody impulse buys amplifiers, but I impulse bought this amplifier while I was <laughs> while I was um, I bought it from another guitar center while I was like in an airport about to get on a plane to California for like a big guitar center meeting. And um, but I knew I wasn't going to have service on the plane. So I'm like, oh, I better buy this now because it was a really good deal on that amp. And I literally only bought it because um I know uh, uh, Andy Hull from Manchester Orchestra, who's one of my favorite bands, um, mm-hmm. uses one of those. And I was like, oh, well, I, you know, I've seen him live a bunch. He's always got a good sound. It's a good deal. Let me grab it. And then ended up being my pedal platform. And then, like, to bring that story full circle, like, you know, I made The Crook, which is our most popular pedal, our, one of our overdrives on that. And then I sent one to Andy Hull, and now he uses it on tour. So, you know, so like it's like because I bought that amp, I made a pedal that Andy Hull uses with the amp, which is the reason I bought the one that I have. That's cool. (laughs) That's so cool. I love that. That was such a a crazy moment, too, because I got to see after I sent it to him, I got to see him use it live about three feet in front of my face at the House of Blues in Boston. And that was one of those moments where I'm like, you know. I think I think pedals is going to work out. You know what I mean. Even <laughs> even if even if this doesn't, you know, I don't I don't become a bazillionaire or whatever from this this moment alone. This is priceless. I will I will I will do this forever if I can keep having moments like this. So, the ha- the House of Blues in Boston might must have some sort of uh, some sort of uh, magical I don't know magnetism or something because that is where I recorded the first Brian Fallon interview. Was oh cool was there. So it was just like me with my my phone and my little like sure mic plugged into it on the back of the tour bus. That was like, that is such a surreal moment for my wife and I. And that was like the moment I think that she realized I'd kind of already had like an inkling that the podcast was going to work out. Sure. But I think that was the moment for her. She's like, I think this podcast thing is really going to work out. <laughs> right. It's always good when someone <laughs> yeah. else thinks it's a good idea. Right. Yeah. Cause like I, I had, I had no faith in this, you know, and, and oh, I don't know if I can make pedals work until like all my friends were like, 
You know, the whole suit and tie thing you were doing at Guitar Center didn't really seem very you, but, you know, being awake at three o'clock in the morning at your kitchen table putting a fuzz together, that seems like you. That seems like something you should be doing. <laughs> I was like, all right, cool. Um, yeah. you know, funny, funny enough, talking about the House of Blues again, uh, the first time... <laughs> this is, anyway, the first time I ever got three tickets to a concert because of pedals I made was also at the House of Blues, and that was nice. uh, that was Julian Baker and uh, and Tao and Mini Trees were all there, and I had made a fuzz for Tao and a reverb for Julian Baker at that point, and they were like appreciative enough to give me, my girlfriend, and Connor all tickets to go see them at the House of Blues, which was awesome. Yep. So, that's and so that's cool. when I was like, this is the these are the perks that everyone must have been talking about, and then it's yep. like, you know almost <laughs> never happened since then. You know what I mean? But it was <laughs> but it was really really cool when it did. That's that's just the thing is uh, that was just starting to happen with more frequency for me right before lockdown. The last in-person interview I had was I, I had two like really close together. I That's when I interviewed Tepe from Thrice. Oh, cool. And then and then fast forward like a month. It was like literally I'm trying to remember the timeline. It's also screwed up now. But we my wife and I went and interviewed uh, Dave Hawes and we hung out and nerded out about Les Paul Juniors and had a great time. It was a fantastic episode. And then it was like the week after or maybe two weeks after that, it was like that day that you opened Instagram and all of your favorite bands were canceling everything. Yeah. It, it yeah, was like, I was like, uh, and I saw Dave, like, I'm like, we just were just with him. And it was like, what is going on right now? This is yeah. super weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. That was, I remember, I remember where I was when that happened. It was funny because we, and this like sounds so bad in retrospect, but we really just had no idea. There was like rumblings that there was like a virus spreading around the world at that point. But um, Connor's birthday was actually two days ago, but back in, in 2020, you know, it was his birthday was coming up and I had like an onboard distortion fuzz. I really wanted to give him for his birthday to like be, go put this in a guitar. And I like surprised him because he lives in Connecticut now. So like me and my girlfriend drove up and like we like surprised him and I gave him that. And that was on 314 of 2020. And yeah. then it was like, you know, we went bowling and ate finger foods like chicken fingers and french fries the whole time. So we're like <laughs> licking our fingers, sticking them in bowling balls and going you know, like, in public. And then it was like the next day everyone was like, okay, so the world is shutting down. And we're like, oh, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're like, well, we all have it, definitely. And then none of them <laughs> positive, which is crazy. But um, but yeah, it was a weird time for sure. It, I keep having to remind myself that regular standard winter NAM happened in 2020. Because in my mind, Whoa. no, that didn't happen. That's you a know, weird but, thing to think about. Yeah. like, a, and I, And then the Thrice show was just after that. That happened in January. So it was like, regular winter nam we had kind of heard we're like i think there's something going on in china and like you know the wuhan symbols is there and we're like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and like <laughs> that's funny no i we've we've we want to do nam so bad man but it's just like you know like i said we started in 2020 so it's like every opportunity you know, when, when that one happened in 2020 we were definitely too small to even really consider it at that point and now like we really want to do it but it's just like Pretty much everyone I've talked to about it, you know, people that are much cooler than me that have been doing, you know, gear manufacturing for much longer have all been like, no, we're not going this year. You know what I mean? And and that's, you know, and we still we, we want to do it for the experience. Obviously, the exposure would also be monumental because, you know, as it stands right now, um, aside from dealing ourselves through the website, we pretty much exclusively deal with mom and pops. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've had conversations with Sweetwater before, you know, like maybe like six months ago or so. And they were like. You know, they were pretty, they, as nice as they could have been, they were pretty much like, come back to us when things are really picking up. You know what I mean? Right. Like, we were like, okay, cool. And then, you know, not that we have a, a bad taste in our mouth for Guitar Center or anything like that, but we do know that they, you know, from working there for so long, we know how hard it is to get new products in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, we haven't really And then how hard that. it is to deal with once you are in there. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and it's funny, too, because, you know, we know a lot of those people on a personal level. You know what I mean? Because we talk with them forever, but even still, we're like, maybe, you know, let's just focus on the mom and pops. So, if there's any mom and pops listening right now we're very interested in you know in, in 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 having you become dealers you know we deal with mostly people in like you know the capital region area of upstate new york but we really we really are interested in getting them out there as much as we possibly can you know and we have you know everything all set up for vendor agreements and everything we've been doing and it's just the outreach and i think um you know, without the ability to actually go into these stores and driving around as much as I would like to, it's kind of a hard thing to deal over the phone. You know what I mean? Especially because the boutique pedal market is so 
saturated right now. Um, it's like everybody's yes. making pedals right now, which is cool. I actually, I appreciate that and think that's a good thing. Um, but it definitely makes it hard to get stores to take you seriously, no matter how popular your products are, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenging thing. And then dealers, you know, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky model. You have to make sure that, you know, there's enough meat on the bone for everybody to make it worth it for the time. You know, that's part of why the slice of pie probably will never, we're not going to say definitely, but it'll probably never be in dealers just because, you know, that enclosure costs so much <laughs> to, to make. Oh, totally. Dude. I can't even uh, imagine. Uh, I mean, I know what ours costs to make. I can't even imagine yeah. what doing, what doing yours is there. You know what I mean? And we really wanted to keep it at a price point where people could still get it. So it's kind of like, there's a lot of dealer interest and a lot of people who want to carry it. And it's just like, we'll have to, I don't know. You know, I well, don't, I don't know, know if it's who doable. Need, who needs a dealer when you can go on reverb and buy one secondhand for $600, you know? That's yeah. A- <laughs> yeah. Or you can just go to bigearpedals.com and buy one for the regular right. price. <laughs> you know, we've been, we've been fortunate enough where nothing like that has ever happened to us because our stuff is already, is always readily available. But, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how long it takes the episodes to air from recording at this point, but I'll be totally transparent from this point on our influx in crook sales since Addison at JHS Addison. <laughs> has just made it like a cruel joke that it's the only pedal that he's like allowed to use. Um, it's it's getting hard to keep up. We're, we're actually at a point right now where we might have to set up, uh, you know, back order stuff, which is the first time we've ever had to do that for a pedal because, you know, mm-hmm. we do build them all by hand um, for perspective. I think at this point they make. I think about more than 40 percent of our sales are just that one pedal, um, yeah. which is crazy. But like, you know, we also have like an insane back catalog of like really cool musicians who use that pedal too. You know what I mean? So like that in tandem with the JHS show um, makes that pedal really, really popular. And also again, for full transparency, it's probably my favorite thing I have ever made period in my life. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I really, I, I, it is like the exact overdrive sound I like. And it turns out that it is also a sound that other people are trying to achieve. So it does really, really well, which is cool. Um, And I'm, you know, I'm excited to see, where it goes in the future, but like, you know, so many of my favorite musicians play it now, you know what I mean? And that's yeah. just a really cool thing to see. Yeah. I like the, on the recent JHS show where they were supposed to have somebody else select their pedals. Addison just said, no. Yeah, dude, that's, I, I that's, won't do it. that's <laughs> the biggest spike we've had in a while. Um, and you know, cause we track everything for like how many people click on us from finding the JHS show and whatever. And you know, I, the best part is, is, you know, Addison's super cool and he'll like email me before he'll just be like, it's about to go down. <laughs> He's like, he'll be like, you know, this we I just had a lot of crook content on there. So like, and I appreciate that because like I said, we build these things by hand. Um, yeah. I am at a point now where I can put a crook together in about 25 minutes, which is crazy. Um, but you know, Connor, that's the only pedal that we really make him build at this point because everything else is, you know, built in Albany. But some of the crooks are built in Connecticut because it's you know, because there's such an influx of, of, you know, of demand for them. Um, mm-hmm. But Addison will oh, actually, funny enough, I have a package sitting right next to me right now that is going to Addison as a uh, thank you for his love for the crooks. And he has no <laughs> idea what it is, um, but I Ooh. know he is going to love it. So I don't know if he's a listener of the show or anything, but I think I sent him tracking info and then just like a, like a shush emoji is like all I said, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm sure he'll be excited for, uh, for when that's to come. I bet you he'll probably show it on the show. I'm not going to obviously say what they do on the JHS show before it happens, but I think he'll be really excited about this one for sure. I think that I, I love the JHS show and I had a really fun time on there. Uh, but I, I have to say, I think Addison is the underrated member of the JHS crew. That dude is so talented. Absolutely. Like he is at, and he's a sweetheart on top of it, but I was watching him play and watching him like he's running. He's also the one running the mixing board. Oh yeah. Like, dude. A lot of people, I was I was really shocked when I was looking at the comments after I came on. I was really shocked at how many people were like, "There's no way this is live, like this isn't live." <laughs> I'm like, "No, it really is a hundred percent live. It's just so well done, dude." He's he's really good at what you he know? does. I know he uses a lot of UAD stuff too. I can see it, you know, in the, in the videos and stuff. Yeah. You know, it's so funny too because I sent him. When I sent them a pedal, I sent one to Addison. I didn't send, I didn't, I mean, I when we first made one, I think I sent one to Josh Scott. Like I got his, 
Um, I got his email through Joshua for a Boca Negra. I got it from him and then like mm-hmm. sent one to Josh Scott and I'd like never heard anything back, which like I didn't really expect to because I also don't think it's like his kind of overdrive just based on watching the show. And again, for full transparency's sake, I've probably seen every episode of the JHS show at least twice because it used to just be <laughs> what I had rolling while I was designing pedals. You know what I mean? Like right. I said, I'm always looking for that before I discovered my new fond love for podcasts. <laughs> and uh, and he, you know, and and then one day I was like, you know, let me just reach out to Addison real quick. And I you know, found his email and everything. And I was just like, dude, honestly, like I'm primarily a bass player. You're playing bass on the show. This pedal handles bass really well. Let me send you one. And he was just like, yeah, dude, like absolutely. And then, you know, he's like, <laughs> it was funny because I didn't hear back from him for a little while because they were so busy. But there was a video where I can't remember who it was. It was another really good uh, gear YouTube channel. But he did he did a tour of the JHS studio. And the crook was just sitting on Addison's desk, still in the box. And I was like, oh, my God, there it is. Like, you know, I, like, I still hadn't heard anything from Addison really yet. And then finally he told me, dude, this thing's incredible. This is this is going on my board. And then, you know, I remember I was in a movie theater with my girlfriend in late December when he sent me the message. He's like, so Josh just played it and it's going to be in the episode titled Best New Pedals of 2021. And I was like, nice. Wow, I don't I could like literally like stood up in the middle of a movie theater during a very dramatic scene and like put my arms in the air, you know, what I mean? like and, and everyone was like, sit down, you know, my girlfriend's like, what's going on? And I literally just messaged and emailed them through the whole movie and missed everything that was going on in the movie trying to figure out what was going on. And I think it's been in every episode this year, like they've mentioned it or shown it in every episode this year, except two, maybe one. So mm-hmm. It is like a joke at this point, which, you know, I'm I'm I, I'm always watching them live. So I'm always commenting every time I see it also. You know what I mean? But it is really so cool. And it's been great for our business, obviously, also. You know, I mean, it's cool to see people who buy the pedal because they heard it. You know what I mean? On the show. You know what I mean? And like they know that it's part of Addison's bass tone and also kind of helped us break into ba- the bass player market a little bit more, too, you know, because mm-hmm. – Marketing something as a base overdrive, uh, in my experience, has has been kind of like marketing suicide. If you put base in front of like the name of any pedal, you can pretty much guarantee that you're not going to sell as many. So the fact that you know some people are using it on base is really cool. And you know we we have like some there's some big base players that use it too. Like um, uh, uh, Matt McJunkins, who plays in Poppy, used to play in a Perfect Circle. He uses it on mm-hmm. base. Um, we just sent one to Joey Howard, who plays for Paramore, and I know he says he's looking for a new Paramore sound. And he loves the thing, so that's super cool. And like, there's a ton of people um, that use it for that, and I do myself also, just because of the low end response that it handles. Um, but like I said, yeah, I mean, not to not to just harp on that one pedal, but it is like I said, probably my favorite thing I've ever made <laughs> ever, and and we're super excited about it. Nice, nice. Well, hey, dude, we are uh, approaching the end of the main episode. And, you know, as you're aware, we've got a couple classic questions to get into. Oh, but sure. before I do that, I would like to, you know, give you the chance to, you know, shout out anybody you want to shout out. Uh, you know, you can thank your grandma or you can uh, plug anything you want to plug. Kind of the floor is yours at the moment. <clears throat> cool. Uh, yeah, definitely something I want to plug as we just posted about it for the first time about two, maybe three hours ago. Um, at least two hours, three from when we recorded this. Um, we just released a new fuzz pedal. Um, it's called the Glutnik. It is a Russian muff clone with a whole bunch of other really neat bells and whistles. And 50% of the sales from that, uh, we're donating to the Ukraine. We're actually donating it to, um, the world, uh, vision Ukraine crisis fund. Um, we're super excited to be a part of that. There's so many other really cool pedal companies that are also doing that same thing. Um, and we figured what, you know, we really wanted to do a Russian muff for a really long time. And then everything happened with the world. We're like, is there really an appropriate time to do that? And we figured what better way to do it than to take a famous Russian-made pedal, make it in America, and then donate the profits to the Ukraine right now. <laughs> so we figured right. that was the right. way to go. Um, mm-hmm. So that's uh, – pre-orders are set up for that now. Um, not really sure exactly when we're going to be releasing them. The parts are here. We're just also inundated with a lot of other stuff right now, and we still want to do a demo video for it. Um, that's our big, new, exciting thing. Like I said, we literally just posted about that. Um, next – I definitely want to shout out to our, you know, the stores who carry our stuff around here, which is uh, Parkway, you know, Hilton Music Center, Love of Fuzz, Scotia Music Traders, Drome Sound, Collar City, uh, Adirondack Guitars. They're all super, they were super helpful in getting this whole thing started when we did. Um, 
Definitely want to shout out my girlfriend, Taylor. She was technically the first investor into Poison Noises. <laughs> she was the one that was like, yeah, take this money and we'll figure it out from there. And I was like, oh, all right. Sounds good to me. You know, obviously shout out Connor too. I could not do this without him. Um, he's definitely not, you know, he's going to give me a bunch of crap for saying that, but he really is. <laughs> you know, he, I, I definitely, I wouldn't have made this plunge without him. He's, he's, he's uh, just as big of part of this company as I am. Um, you know, uh, Rutsky and Paul were, were two people who worked for me at, or worked with me at Guitar Center, um, that were really helping me build stuff in the beginning, you know, not as big a part anymore, but they were, they were also super helpful. Um, Addison for sure. <laughs> Addison right? gets the shout, you know, he's, <laughs> yeah. he, you know, especially for, for his life. Dude, honestly, I just love that he loves the crook like we do. That's really, you know, that's, that's how I feel about that. But, um, but yeah, man, that's, I think that's just about everything. Okay, cool. All right, final questions. Here we go. I'll be curious to see where this first one goes. Oh, I'm prepared, dude. You have no I'm, I've been thinking about this all day. <laughs> what is your favorite boss pedal? Okay, so I'm going to preface this with the first ever pedal board I ever had was all boss pedals. And okay. I think it actually deterred me from like discovering the sounds that I really wanted because I just liked the colors and I never went anywhere past that. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it was like six boss pedals and like a crybaby wah. I ended up selling all of them to buy a Cobain Jagstang, I think is what it was. I can't remember what it was at the time. Um, so I think my favorite boss pedal ever is the TR2. And, Ooh, and, yeah. I, and I have a weird reason for picking this. One, I, uh, I'm not a huge fan of like boss drive pedals. I just never really have been. They just don't have the sound I'm looking for. Um, but that was... That pedal just did what it do right when I bought it. You know what I mean? Like I knew I knew exactly what I wanted out of this pedal at that time and it achieved it. But most importantly, I learned something from this pedal. Um, so the middle knob, middle knob? Yeah, the middle knob is a wave shaper for the tremolo on that pedal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's like a shape of like a like a triangle wave and like a sine wave and a square wave. And you can like blend between them. That yes. was the first time I understood what those waves sounded like was that moment when I turned oh, that yeah. knob, yeah, which yeah. was so important to the rest of my audio career, especially now as <laughs> I build pedals in the future. You know, our trem, the tractor beam, has virtually the same knob control on it. It does the exact same thing. Um, now we have a new one coming out sometime in the next few months um, that has even more stuff on it. But that was so important to me learning like how how waveforms worked and that was worth the money alone even if i didn't have the pedal i would have paid for that information you know what i mean so i'm going to say the tr2 is the most important the tr2 i like that that's a good reason i mean i i didn't really think about it till you said it but that's i don't remember if it was the tr2 or if it was a different tremolo a tremolo pedal was the first thing. I was like, oh, that's what they mean by square wave. Totally. Right. right. And it's like, like, such like a silly oh. thing to think about. But like, yeah. really, that I, I just remember, I remember where I was. I was in my bass player Steve's garage and I'm looking at it and I'm turning and I hear it. I literally like had a pop up eureka moment you know I mm-hmm. mean, when it happened. Yeah. It was just, it was just really important, you know? Yeah, definitely. I love that. All right. So you're in New York. You spent a lot of time in New York City. So this, this is going to be a, a very important next question. Oh, sure. What is your favorite kind of pizza? So my um, my dad, whenever someone comes to visit New York City, who's never been to New York City for a long period of time, he brings them what he calls the pizza tour, which mm-hmm. is where he brings them to all of the most notable pizza places in New York City and makes them pick which one they think is the best. I've been a part of this pizza tour before. So many of my family members have, and everyone's kind of got different views. But I can say, if anything, if we were just talking about exclusively New York City pizza, I don't know as many people who have a resume like I do for this particular subject. Right, <laughs> because right. We've, I'm ready. We've done, we've put the science behind this one, you know. So I'll mm-hmm. tell you right now, my dad will tell you it's Grimaldi's. And, I love Grimaldi's. Yeah, that's, you know, in Dumbo. And, uh, yep. and I'm inclined to agree with him. There's a, there's a, there's a part, about you can't get Grimaldi's by the slice. So like right. you have to buy the whole pie. You do. Which yep. is like not a lot of pizza places are like that. So it kind of makes it hard to weigh that one out because it's like, is this whole pie of pizza better than this one slice of pizza? You know what I mean? And the answer is always going to be yes. But no, Grimaldi's is really good. It's thin crust. Um it's kind of flaky. Um the cheese is 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 really it's like it's like almost sweet. It's really, really good. I'm a big fan of it. But the when I did the tour the first time with him and my uncle, 
um, we went to Lombardi's, which is on Spring Street in in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And same thing. It it was really sweet. It had like a sweet sauce, thicker crust, still flaky, um, good environment. Um, And like I just kept saying, I'm like, there's something about this place. I can't explain what it was. And then I do some research on it. It was the first ever pizza place in America. Mm-hmm. ever of like all like i mean everyone always says we're the first pizza place or the best you know what i mean but like That's they were like <laughs> literally the first pizza place in america and you can taste it <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean like that's mm-hmm. like such a silly thing to say but I do I think that's I think that is the best pizza another notable one there was this uh oh, I wish I could remember the name of it something something 24 I can't remember there's a pizza place we went to down there that cut the pizza with shears and I remember with like shears. The, yeah like the pizza was so thick they like had to like take like a giant pair of shears and <laughs> cut it and that moment made me think it was like a really good pizza but no it's still it's still Lombardi's in my mind for sure Lombardi's I got I have to hit Lombardi's one of these days I, I I I have some some New York favorites. I always tell people Grimaldi's is my favorite that I've had. I loved Grimaldi's, and I feel kind of bad saying that because so, well, actually the, the well, I only went there once, and the time I went there, I actually was there with Scott and his now wife. Okay, which is kind of weird because like Nashville, we were just ha- we sure. were just we were we were both there. We were both there for the Fear the Rift Festival. That's why we were. Oh, cool. There. That makes sense. Um. And so, yeah, we went to Grimaldi's and I'm always talking about how great it was. And my wife, like, I didn't realize how, like, she was not feeling well at the time. Okay. Because, like, it was like, we had just found out that she was having another kid. And we, like, were having another baby. And she was not feeling good at all. And I didn't realize how not feeling good she was, (laughs) she was feeling. And so she's like, yeah, you're always talking about how awesome Grimaldi's was. It's like, I don't have good memories of Grimaldi's. Well, that's, the other, that's the other part of it, too. You know, I associate Grimaldi's with Coney Island. You know what I mean? Like, okay. just because of, like, the location and everything like that. So, like, I yeah. that's how I think about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, <laughs> it's, like, funny now that I say it out loud, saying Grimaldi's tastes like Coney Island doesn't make you want to eat it. You know what I mean? Right. But, like, at the same time, like, you know, it is, it is, like, you know, there's happy memories from there that I associate mm-hmm. it with. But I think, like, yeah. I really do think that if I if I took out the, uh, you know, the bias of, of any other environment, I really do think Lombardi's takes it. And apparently yeah. they closed for a little while and then reopened, so they're technically not the oldest pizzeria anymore, but they were the first. Okay, well, so. I mean, I got it. I can still do it to them. Right, for know. sure. How do you feel about Joe's on Carmine Street? Ooh, um, I've okay. I've only been there. We, it didn't. It didn't become a part of the pizza tour till later on, um, mm-hmm. and that is almost unfair because you totally hype up the pizza that you've had before to your relatives. Right. Like we have relatives from like North Carolina who like don't even know what pizza is. You know what I mean? So like they come <laughs> up and like, you know, if I, my dad says Grimaldi's 300 times and then they take a bite of Grimaldi's, it's like, that's the best one. You know what I mean? It's right. like, that's like, they've, they've habit, been influenced a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. Mm-hmm. It is good though. No, it's really good. I mean, dude, it's like, you know, here's the thing is like pizza, even when it's bad is still good in New York city. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I live about three hours North of New York city right now. And there's a pizza place called I love New York pizza that is like, you know, it's my go-to to like order pizza from here. And it's really good. It's not even close to anything I had in New York City. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's really mm-hmm. not. Um, there's a couple of spots like in Connecticut or like um even like Massachusetts or Jersey or stuff like that that are like also like really good, but like you just can't, you know, you just can't, you can't beat it. It's also, you know, part of the experience. Some people say it's the water. I just found out recently there's like places around here that like import water from New York City yep. like when they're making their pizza. Mm-hmm. Like that's so crazy. You know what I mean? But it's well, a real thing. I, I kind of feel weird talking about it, but like I, I think like the Willamette Valley in Oregon has some of the best water just ever. Sure. And so when I go to new places, I'm always like sampling the tap water. I'm like, how is the tap water here? Like some sort of water snob. But like I went to New York City. I'm like, I've always heard it's the water. Let's find out. I'm like, it's pretty good water. Right. Like, <laughs> well, you know, where, where I am, you go 45 minutes north, you're in Saratoga. And Saratoga Springs is like responsible for like most of the bottled water like in the country. You know what I mean? Right. And they're supposed to have like the most delicious water. I'll tell you right now, the tap water in Saratoga is disgusting. Like it's just <laughs> not good for like whatever reason, you know. But uh, Schenectady, actually, water is free here. Like we don't have to pay for uh, like any, any water bills. We have free water here for some reason. That's amazing. Yeah, I've lived in about 12 different places in Schenectady just for that reason. <laughs> 
know, like that's like how I started. I also like the I, town, obviously, but cost me uh, like a hundred bucks a month. Dude, What's I going mean, like for here? real, like it is. But yeah. um, we also have like an old like cast iron pipe system in like the infrastructure of our streets that moves our water. So like water mains like explode and break all the time too. So, but it's like <laughs> so not eh. my problem. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm still getting water. So, but uh, but yeah, water here is pretty tasty. But even if it wasn't, it's free. So if it's free, it's for me. Right. Right. Well, I think that's uh, probably a good place to wrap this thing up and we'll dive into the Patreon. What do you think? Very cool. I'm excited. All right. Well, for Jordan, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right. There it is. There you have it. There we go. That is another one in the can. Thank you so much for tuning into this one. I super, super, super appreciate it. If you want to hear more of the conversation and we get we get into Weirdosville on this one, you can go to patreon.com slash tone mob, or you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts to get that additional content and actually help keep this show going. Without that, this would be a very, very difficult thing to do. So thank you to all of the patrons. Thank you to everyone who tunes in. I appreciate you all so much. Be good to each other, and I will catch you on the internet. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.